All right, everybody. It is Friday. We have made it. It is Friday, December 16th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I am up in Vermont as we record this today. Where in the world is Mo Shwanunu? <laughs> I try to I try to mix it up. Uh, we record this on a program called Riverside, where there is video. And Jill is like, "Is that your apartment? I've never seen that part of your apartment." I was like, "No, I'm in a different location today. We like we had an event, or like we've moved around." But I'm actually up in Vermont. Alex and I drove up here on Thursday because we're awaiting a big blizzard. Uh, we will actually tell listeners about later in this podcast and hoping to preempt the storm to get some skiing in, the first skiing of the season. You know, seriously, I'd say at least once a week, twice a week, I, we go into Riverside and I just look and I'm like, where are you now, Mosh? So what do you, you and, basically <laughs> travel the globe, what, with your ring light and your your podcast microphone? <laughs> yes, yes. And the TSA always mistakes the podcast microphone for something nefarious. So I'm always held up these days at TSA. Um, I will note, by the way, where in the world, you might get that reference if you watched a certain show called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego back in the early 90s, which I should tell you, Jill, I was obsessed with. It was my favorite TV show. Of course you are. <laughs> that- <laughs> It's like a a, a geography quiz show. It was a geography quiz show. I wanted to be a contestant so badly. I, I, you know, this is pre-internet folks. So it was very hard to figure out how to be a contestant on these types of shows. But my favorite book at age five was a world atlas. And I used to memorize world capitals. And my first grade teacher was like, I don't know what to do with him to my parents. And that is why, Mosh, we are all listening to you today. Um, And on that note, let's get to some headlines. Severe weather making its way across the country in the form of deadly tornadoes and blizzards, as Moshe was just mentioning. Overseas, Russia is out with a warning for the United States not to send Patriot missiles to Ukraine. Some new reporting from the White House shows that the First Lady has given the green light for President Biden to run for re-election. Plus, Moshe, I'll trade you one Donald Trump golfing card for a Trump superhero card. We'll tell you all about the former president's latest fundraising idea. Jill, people have been asking me on Instagram all day, is this a real story or is this satire? Folks, this is real and we'll tell you about it. Okay, as if the triple-demic of COVID, flu, and RSV wasn't bad enough, now health officials are warning about strep infections that are sending kids to the hospital. The holiday season heats up and Americans are finally spending less money. We're going to bring you the latest retail sales numbers And Mosh, it is Friday, so let's try to lighten things up a bit. Grubhub out with its list of the most ordered food in 2022, and apparently comfort is king. Plus, what we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend, a packed podcast here. Jam-packed. Let's get going. Okay, so let's start with the severe weather across the United States right now. In the South, the cleanup continues from tornadoes that left three people dead and dozens injured. Louisiana, including the New Orleans area, was especially hard hit. In the North, that system is fueling blizzard conditions from Virginia through New England. Some forecasts predict up to two feet of snow in parts of New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Back down south, those tornadoes, at least 49 reported, left a trail of destruction from Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, Alabama, and Florida over the past two days. And Moshe, I saw you had posted on your Instagram account about how Tornado Alley is actually shifting a bit. 
Yeah, you might not think of New Orleans as a place where you'll see a lot of tornadoes, but now they've been hit multiple times this year with uh, some really terrible storms. Climate scientists are pointing the finger at climate change here. The so-called Tornado Alley, which used to cover Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and West Texas for decades, has effectively shifted two to 300 miles east, especially over the last 30 years. And this is from multiple studies. While climate science is still kind of new on a few fronts, this data is pretty clear. They're literally counting the number of tornadoes over the last 100 years in various states and regions. And this is where they're seeing some real change. So what's happening? Drier weather in the plains, in those Nebraska, Kansas areas, make it less amenable to twisters. The South now has the premium conditions for tornadoes, unfortunate for them. So that's Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas. Uh, So climate change really funky here. Some places are getting wetter, some colder, some hotter, some drier. And in this case, Tornado Alley is moving. It's very unlucky for Louisiana and the Gulf Coast. They're obviously also increasingly the target of hurricanes, and now they're seeing tornadoes. Back to the overall forecast, though, Jill, uh, looking ahead to Christmas, they already have the 10-day forecast out here. It is going to be very cold, even in areas in the south and in areas you won't expect. Uh, Texas, North Carolina could see temperatures in the teens Christmas weekend. Most hopefully in some of those places that they're getting some cold weather, hopefully they'll see at least a, a white Christmas in some of them. But I guess we'll know more about that next week. Now, though, to the war in Ukraine, Russia is warning of, quote, consequences if the U.S. sends sophisticated Patriot surface-to-air missiles to Ukraine. The foreign ministry is saying that the U.S. is essentially becoming a party to the war there and that this would be, quote, another provocative move by the U.S. that could prompt a response from Moscow. The Patriot surface-to-air missiles would be the most advanced weaponry that the West has sent to Ukraine so far. Russia not saying what the consequences could be. But most, this is the concern that the longer that this war goes on, just the more opportunity that there is for other countries like the United States to potentially get dragged in. Yeah, we're 10 months in here. The U.S. has given a lot of aid, uh, tens of billions uh, in aid and weaponry to the Ukrainians. The media reports out this week uh, are that Washington is expected to imminently announce plans to send Patriot missile batteries to Ukraine. Ukraine has been desperately asking the U.S. to equip them with these missiles. It would help them effectively create a missile shield against incoming Russian missiles. Uh, They're defensive in nature. You might have first heard about Patriot missiles back in the early 90s during that first Persian Gulf War. Uh, It was used to success against the Iraqi Scud missiles at the time. They're much more advanced now, nearly 30 years later. Russian missiles have crippled much of Ukraine's vital infrastructure, like its electrical grid, especially important as the weather gets bitter cold there. Now, the issue with Patriot missile batteries is they require sometimes as many as 90 troops. So according to the AP, the U.S. has been reluctant to provide this complex system that includes dozens of troops because they would typically need to send American forces into Ukraine to help teach the Ukrainians on how to operate them. That has been a non-starter for the Biden administration. They do not want U.S. troops on the ground there. So how will the U.S. troops go about training the Ukrainian forces on how to use and maintain the system? Another concern, Patriot missiles uh, could go up and they could miss potentially a Russian missile. uh, That would mean that those missiles then land in Russia. That's the escalation thing you mentioned. And then there's a cost-effective question. Patriot missiles, one by one, are millions of dollars. How will they train the Ukrainians on how to just shoot down Russian missiles, uh, missile for missile, and not those uh, much cheaper $50,000 Iranian drones the Russians are operating? So there's a lot of questions here, uh, and that'll be a, uh, a big thing to look for in the next couple of weeks. One other story out of Ukraine, an American, Sweetie Merkizi, 
captured by Russian forces in Ukraine, has now been freed by a team from Ukraine's military intelligence. This was part of a bigger prisoner swap between Ukraine and Russia. Merkizi is a U.S. Air Force veteran. He's a native of Rwanda. He happened to just be living in Ukraine since 2018. He work, was working in the tech industry and decided not to leave after Russia invaded. His captors had accused him of taking part in pro-Ukrainian protests. It is not believed that he was involved in any of the fighting. So he talked to ABC News upon his release. He said he was tortured by the Russians, beaten. He was held in a basement, which he described as a torture chamber. And he said the worst part was actually hearing other prisoners, including women, screaming because they were also being tortured. Yeah, uh, really scary stuff. It's great that uh, he's been released. He actually, uh, he was born in Rwanda. He lived in Minnesota for years, spent eight years in the U.S. Air Force. He was held for a while by the Russians, along with two other Americans who had traveled to Ukraine to fight on behalf of the Ukrainians. Uh, Those two, Alexander Druck and Andy Hun, were freed by Russia back in September in a different prisoner swap. Uh, The Russians, in the case of Swady, were accusing him of working as an American intelligence operative. He denied that. The Americans uh, denied that. so uh, we've had a couple big prisoner swaps that have uh, uh, have freed a couple Americans in the last week here, Jill. All right, let's talk some presidential politics. As we've reported here on the podcast before, it is the sequel that the majority of the country would rather not see. I'm talking Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. So first on the Democratic side, there's this new poll from CNN that shows 59% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents say they would like to see somebody other than Biden at the top of the ticket in 2024. At the same time, though, a majority of those voters say that they would vote for him in a general election if he were to win the party's primary. So will he or won't he run? Most word on the street is that Joe Biden isn't even going to be the one who's making the decision. It's all his wife, Jill. And some news on that front. Yeah. First Lady Jill Biden, in the words of uh, CNN, has the full weight of the kibosh. Uh, A reminder here, Joe Biden is the oldest president in American history. He turned 80 last month. He'd be 82 at the beginning of the next term, 86 by the time he's done in early 2029. So at least seven CNN sources inside the White House are saying that while the First Lady was not initially a proponent of him running again, you know, she wanted to do one term and out. Now she is, quote, all in, according to those sources. The reporting for a while now is that she can still stop things and she has the say here. He listens to her. Uh, She was a no vote in some prior political decisions, including back in 2015 uh, when his son Bo died. Uh, She was opposed to him running. That was, of course, the election where Hillary would end up running. He was vice president at the time, chose not to run, uh, partially due to uh, her pushing for no. Initially this year, she had concerns about his age, especially after the midterms. But after the Democrats did better than expected in the midterms, uh, given his state of his health right now, it gives her more confidence, according to the CNN reporting, that he can do this until the age of 86. Nothing is certain, though. This is certain to go back and forth. There's expected to be more conversations around the holidays. Expect an announcement either way in the February-March time zone, according to insiders there. Well, whatever you think of Joe Biden, at least he understands happy wife, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Though it's it's interesting because at the end of the day here, Jill, you know, he's in his 80s and some people were messaging me being like, why doesn't he just want to enjoy retirement? And at the same time, you're like, you're the most powerful person to a certain extent in the world. Like why it's very, it's very unusual to want to give up an opportunity to have that job for four more years. It's a job he's wanted his whole life, you know? I've said this on the podcast before. I th- if it were me, I think I'd be very much looking forward to retirement. But um, hey. Jill, I look forward to talking about that uh, in about 40 years. 
on this podcast. <laughs> They're going to be like, give up the mic, guys. Okay, now let's turn to the GOP. Polls also show that about 62% of Republicans and Republican-leaning voters would prefer to see their party nominate somebody other than former President Trump. The Wall Street Journal reports Trump trying to regroup after a rocky first month of his 2024 campaign. Uh, This paragraph describes the rough first four weeks. Quote, the former president dined with anti-Semites, said provisions of the Constitution should be terminated to overturn the 2020 election, and suffered several courtroom defeats. A new Wall Street Journal poll showed him losing by double digits in a hypothetical primary against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And again, Moshe, a reminder that this is from the conservative, right-leaning Wall Street Journal. Meanwhile, though, tell us about Trump's latest money-making idea. So in the last couple of days, Jill, he was teasing what he called a major announcement, in all caps, uh, as he is prone to do. Conservative media outlets were wondering if he was going to announce his running mate early for uh, the next election. Or some others were speculating, could he make a run for Speaker of the House against Kevin McCarthy, who might not make it? A reminder to be uh, Speaker of the House, you don't actually have to be a member of Congress. You just have to get 218 congressmen to vote you in. And he has a lot of loyalists in the party. So everyone is like, what is this major announcement? Well, on Thursday, we found out what the major announcement was. Trump is out with a new set of digital trading cards, NFTs. You can buy them for $99 a piece. Let's take a listen to his announcement. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump, hopefully your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. Jill, that announcement goes on for about two minutes. And if you head over to collecttrumpcards.com, you can watch the full video announcement. The 45th president is selling a series of digital artwork featuring his likeness, depicting him as a superhero with laser eyes, an astronaut, a John Wayne-like cowboy, a dark-suited Trump surrounded by gold bars, and then another one of him golfing. There's a bunch of other options there, too. Trump compared them to a baseball card, but, quote, hopefully much more exciting. Uh, As I was saying at the top, dozens of people were messaging me being like, please tell me this is satire. This is Saturday Night Live. This is a deep fake. No, this is real, folks. Uh, This is his latest uh, attempt to uh, raise funds. Uh, this these would not be related to campaign funds, but just an overall business opportunity. Uh, and it's been derided basically across the board here, including conservatives, some of whom took to Twitter today, uh, Jill, I was reading, who still support him as of recently and said, like, listen, I can't believe he's doing this stuff. This is embarrassing. Like, he's running for president. What is this all about? I hate to say it, Mosh, but I really can understand why people think this is satire. If you look at the images... I- I don't even know what to say. Like the the Superman, the the they're they're all the lasers coming out of his <laughs> right. eyes, right for a hundred dollars a piece, and then like I guess a chance to zoom with him. Anyway, uh, interesting. And by the way, not the, the first zooming NF- is cool. The zooming I think is actually kind of being cool. able to zoom with a former president. I guess is yeah. cool. But you you have to choose your favorite uh, Trump uh, collection card first uh, for that opportunity, Jill. All right, Jill, we have a lot more news to get to, but I want to get to our sponsors this week. Let's begin with Bull & Branch, the bedding and sheet brand. They are extending a special deal going into Christmas for Mo News listeners. If this all sounds familiar, you may have seen Moshe's Instagram ad. He and Alex in bright royal blue t-shirts in bed. And if you were wondering, what are they doing? (laughs) 
this is it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jill. Clearly, clearly the ad had an impact on you. It and, did. I was mindlessly scrolling. And, and then I noticed you and Alex in bed in these blue t-shirts. And I'm like, what is, what are they up to? We're hawking sheets. <laughs> we're hawking sheets, Jill. So uh, what's, what's incredible here is Bowen Branch took notice of a conversation that we had on the Instagram thread uh, last month. Uh, and is offering a special deal to everyone who is listening to this podcast. It includes 20% off plus free shipping. As Jill just mentioned, my wife and I got a new set of sheets, uh, duvet covers, uh, pillow covers, etc. And what's incredible about the Bolin brand sheets is they get softer after every wash. And so if you're looking for a gift right now for yourself or a loved one this holiday season, a reminder, we spend about a third of our lives in bed, so sheets are a big deal. And so as you do your holiday shopping, this is the opportunity to give a better night's sleep to yourself or your loved ones. Uh, Best of all, Bowling Branch is giving everyone a 30-night worry-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all orders. And uh, you can get their signature sheets right now in a beautiful holiday gift box. So this is the deal. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code MONEWS to give the gift of a better night's sleep to your friends and family. And there is another great deal, Jill, that I want to tell Mo News listeners about as we head into the holiday season. It is actually a partner uh, that I use literally every day, Athletic Greens. Their AG1 all-in-one vitamin is a must as we head into and try to get through cold and flu season. I've been using the Athletic Greens AG1 powder for a couple months now. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning, and that's it. The experience is simple, affordable, and I'm feeling an extra boost of energy every day. Athletic Greens was actually created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It was actually costing about 100 bucks a day. So as they say, necessity is the mother of invention, and the AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, and pre and probiotics to support your gut health. And here is the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs. You can visit athleticgreens.com backslash monews take advantage of this offer you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month again athleticgreens.com backslash mo news for this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health okay time now for the speed read from the associated press americans cut back sharply on retail spending last month as the holiday shopping season began with high prices and rising interest rates forcing families particularly lower income households to make harder decisions about what they buy. Retail sales fell 0.6% from October to November after a sharp 1.3% rise the previous month, according to the government. Sales fell at furniture, electronics, and home and garden stores. Jill, American consumer spending has been resilient ever since inflation first spiked almost 18 months ago, but the capacity, it appears, for Americans to keep paying more for less is waning. Going into the report here uh, with some details, so consumers pulled back on furniture and home furnishing spending by about 2.5%, electronics and appliances by about 1.5%, motors and car parts by about 2.5%, and home improvement and gardening by about 2.5%. Retailers were actually happy, though, with Black Friday weekend, which saw a historic number of shoppers online, more than $35 billion spent in less than a week, uh, though part of that money partially attributed to increased prices. That said, I, I did take note of several economists 
who were looking instead at the early strong spending from October, suggesting we shouldn't all be focused like normal years on November, that because deep discounts started earlier this year, we need to be taking a more holistic picture of consumer spending. So we can't put all our cards in the November numbers, that October numbers are pretty strong. So we'll get a better sense of this really in January. On the COVID front from NBC News, U.S. intelligence agencies began warning that COVID-19 could become a pandemic just weeks after the coronavirus was first reported in China and weeks before the World Health Organization declared it a pandemic. But they missed an opportunity to better understand its spread because they didn't quickly begin spying on Chinese health officials who were hiding what they knew. This is according to a newly declassified report from the House Intelligence Committee. A report from Democrats on that committee also says U.S. intelligence agencies have failed to fix shortcomings and are not prepared for the next pandemic. Quite reassuring, Mosh. Jill, what investigators found is that part of the issue here is that many intelligence officers don't see biological threats as a top-tier national security issue, especially when they see illnesses and that sort of thing. Even after now looking at it, more than a million people died from COVID in the U.S. Uh, Adam Schiff, the top Democratic intel official, at least for a couple more weeks until the Republicans take over, said, quote, we would be moving heaven and earth if we lost a million people as a result of some terrorist incident. It's not the case here. Uh, There was a separate report put out on Wednesday evening by the Republicans on the House Intel Committee. They put out their own report. It accuses intelligence agencies of misleading omissions on COVID origins, downplaying the possibility that COVID was connected to China's bioweapons program based in part on input from outside experts. Expect to hear much more about this when uh, Republicans take over the House in two weeks. And this is something we brought up on the podcast earlier this week and really argues for the need for a COVID independent commission. There are so many questions as to what took place there in the fall of 2019, spring of 2020, what was missed, what was successful, and ultimately here, you know, what I take away from a lot of these reports, Jill, they're more about what we still don't know as opposed to what we know. And this really isn't about the blame game, and I'm sure there are people who want to blame whomever for this. But I think it's equally important to prevent it from happening again. If this actually came from the lab, just say, okay, fine. So what are the safeguards that are in place to make sure that that doesn't happen again with a different virus? If it came from the wet market, okay, fine. What are the safeguards in place to make sure that doesn't happen again? Yeah, but with the lack of cooperation on the Chinese front, you know, my takeaway from this report is, you know, it's funny, my headline from the report, and I imagine uh, for most of the agencies, spy better. (laughs) No, and sooner, spy better and spy sooner. Also want to quickly mention that as COVID cases tick up once again here in the United States, the White House is again offering more free COVID tests and you can order them online at www.covid.gov slash tests. Mosh, I've already ordered mine. I'm expecting four next week. All right, Jill, we're watching another health story from NBC News. This is another worry for parents, actually, as we try to get through this season. Several children's hospitals in the U.S. have detected increases in invasive group A strep infections. Uh, These are strep infections that are severe and sometimes life-threatening that occur when bacteria spread to areas of the body that are normally germ-free, like the bloodstream. This apparently is a rare form of strep, but one that is increasingly on the radar screens uh, this winter. It follows news from the U.K. where at least 15 children have died from the invasive group A strep since mid-September. 
Children's hospitals in Arizona, Colorado, Texas, and Washington telling NBC News that they are seeing higher than average numbers of cases this season compared to past years. Two young children in Denver in that area have died since November 1st over at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, the largest pediatric hospital in the country. They've seen a greater than fourfold increase in potentially invasive infections in the last two months, and they have seen 60 this year versus 15 in the same period last year. So add this to COVID, flu, RSV. Uh, Not fun for parents right now, Mosh. From Axios, three men found guilty of participating in a 2020 plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer were sentenced to prison Thursday. The men got between seven and 12 years. In October, they were convicted of providing material support to a terrorist act, which carries a maximum term of 20 years. And they were also found guilty of gun violations and membership in a gang, a paramilitary group known as the Wolverine Watchmen. Yeah, that was a, a right-wing uh, conspiracy group. The FBI started tracking this conspiracy to kidnap the governor of Michigan, attack her, basically hold their own trial, and overthrow the state government back in early 2020 through social media platforms. The FBI was ultimately successful here in disbanding it. The plot was in part a response to Whitmer's implementation of COVID restrictions. Uh, in court, uh, the three men, who will all at least serve a decade in prison, if not two decades, uh, all said their piece. One cried while acknowledging a, quote, lack of judgment. The second said he was renouncing, disavowing, and detesting anti-government ideologies, while the third apologized and said he simply was, quote, caught up highly in the moment. Jill, this next story comes to us from CBS News. An important warning about some brands of dark chocolate next time you head out to the grocery store. According to research released on Thursday by Consumer Reports, several kinds of dark chocolate contain potentially dangerous amounts of heavy metals. Scientists measured the amount of heavy metals in 28 popular brands of dark chocolate bars and found cadmium and lead in all of them. For 23 of the bars, consuming just an ounce a day would put any adult over a level for at least one of the metals that could be harmful, as we're discussing here, lead or cadmium. A couple brands included in the warning from Consumer Reports, Hershey's and Trader Joe's were in the mix. I'm going to link to this, uh, Jill, in the show notes for everyone. Can't anything just be safe? I, I, I don't know if I'm just following Instagram accounts that call this out, but every time I turn around, there's heavy metals or some food that you think is either healthy or borderline healthy or you know dark chocolate supposed to be the good chocolate. Yeah. Uh, you're finding out they're just not safe. Well, I think also what you're seeing here, Jill, is science is evolving, right? And we're learning more things about what's harmful and levels that are harmful. So in some way, I know that I'm sometimes Pollyanna on this show, but this is a good sign, Jill, that we're you know researching and consumer reports and some of these independent groups are uh, filling the gaps here uh, where uh, the FDA and other agencies aren't necessarily able to stay up to date on all this stuff. Okay, now on to some happier food news, Mo. Grubhub. Bring it, Jill. (laughs) Grubhub just released its biggest national ordering trends and eating habits of the year. By analyzing millions of orders from diners this year, it is clear that comfort inspired what we ate in 2022. The number one most ordered dish, a burrito, a bowl or regular burrito, that is up from number eight last year. Grubhub says diners packed their burritos with everything from sausage and eggs to guac and sour cream. At number two, a cheeseburger. Number three was pizza, followed by pad thai, chicken quesadilla, California roll, fried chicken sandwich, Caesar salad, chicken tikka masala, and at number 10, boneless wings. Americans eating healthy as always, Jill. Yes. 
<laughs> By the way, who would have called that 2022 was the year, the rise of the burrito? I wonder what that's attributed to. Maybe more, is it more places offering burritos or did we just kind of desire that this year? I think it's because you have breakfast burritos, you've got dinner burritos. I think it's because it encompasses so many different kinds of foods. Yeah. My theory based on nothing. All right. What is interesting, though, is if you look at the 2021 numbers, number one last year, Jill, the Impossible Foods Burger, the non-meat burger, guess what didn't make the, even the top 10 this year from number one to off the list, the Impossible Foods Burger. So I guess we all flirted with the uh, the non-meat burgers in 2021 and 2022, we were just over it. Okay, so my favorite part of this report today, I, I read the press release as I think you did too. So in it, they say Grubhub also sending diners their customized 2022 delivered recap report that delves into personal ordering highlights and reveals unique self-discovery stories about how delivery impacted much more than what they ate, but who they are. Okay, first of all, chill Grubhub. Okay, it's just food. <laughs> Second of all, I feel like they're trying to do kind of like what Spotify does with their wrapped lists at the end of the year. Yeah. I'm sorry, but if they send me my my delivered list of what I ate, I'm not, You're not sharing. sharing it. <laughs> no way. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. It's like, yeah. I don't know, that is for my eyes only. I don't even know if I want to see it. It's probably so depressing. Yeah, Jill, as you mentioned that, I don't think I saw uh, a single person share their Grubhub <laughs> most ordered list on my feed today. Um, you're like, you know what I ate 27 <laughs> times this year? Do you know what I ate 114 times this year? A cheese pizza. 27 times a cheesecake. 114 times a cookie. You're like, maybe I'm not going to share that with my friends and family. <laughs> One other tidbit uh, they said in terms of coffee most everyone prefers it cold. Iced coffee jumped from third mm. place last year to the top coffee order this year. Um, iced coffee over everything, apparently the motto. Jill, I you also made note uh, in our notes here, in our podcast notes, of the top dessert orders of the year. And we were talking about that. So everybody, based on Grubhub numbers for what they're worth, the number one most ordered dessert in America, tiramisu followed by baklava, number three, cookies. I would have put cookies up there. But wait, how many people are ordering tiramisu via Grubhub? This is my question. I don't think I've ever thought to order it for delivery, and it does not feel like it would travel well. So according to Grubhub, uh, tiramisu was ordered more than 44,000 times, followed by baklava, 35,000 times. Again, in both cases, I just feel like those are, those are desserts best eaten in restaurants. Um, okay, Mosh, time for On This Day. What do you have for us? So I have two things for you. I have a pop culture item, but then I have a, a fun historical item. And if you've ever eaten out with me on the east side of Manhattan, I might tell you about this. 37 years ago today, on December 16th, 1985, John Gotti oversaw the assassination of Gambino family boss Paul Castellano outside Sparks Steakhouse in Manhattan, over there on 46th Street and 3rd Avenue, for those of you familiar. This incident uh, obviously caught a lot of attention in New York City, but really around the world, uh, the five families, the five mafia families, very upset with Gotti for pulling off this assassination, especially in such a public place in the middle of New York City. Uh, Gotti then, uh, of course, served as the head of the family, only to be arrested a couple years later, himself, including for this murder. He then served the rest of his life in prison. Spark Steakhouse still open on the east side of Manhattan. And if you ever go there with me, I will uh, retrace the steps for you of, <laughs> of, of what took place on December 16th, 1985. But in more uplifting uh, On This Day news for you, Jill, on this day, 28 years ago, Dumb and Dumber, featuring Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels, premiered in theaters. So you're telling me there's a chance, Mosh. 
classic line from a classic movie. Um, Jill, one of my other favorites, uh, when Lauren Holly uh, arrives and uh, Jim Carrey's the driver and she's like, I just came in from Aspen. And he's like, California? Amazing. <laughs> All right, cheers to the freaking weekend. Time now for what we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend. Mosh, kick it off. What are you going to be watching? Final weekend of World Cup action, uh, Jill. Uh, Saturday morning is the third place game between... Uh, my favorite, the Moroccans versus the Croatians. And then on Sunday, if you wake up early, you can catch the World Cup final uh, for bragging rights and number one in the world, Argentina versus France. This, If the French are able to pull this off, this would be their second straight win. Jill, it's going to be cold in a lot of the country, including where I'm at. So uh, I'll be watching a few other things, including we might, we're probably going to get to the Meghan and Harry part two documentary. I definitely want to catch up on that also. There's actually a lot, a lot of news coming out of that. Yeah, a lot of headlines out of the six, now I guess it's officially a six-part documentary about effectively their less than two years together while they were still royals. And then maybe, just maybe, if I want to venture out and if I decide I have the attention span for more than three hours, Jill, I didn't realize this, the new Avatar sequel, more than three hours long. I think it clocks in at three hours and 14 minutes. And it's expected to sell several hundred million dollars in tickets this weekend. Okay, Jill, let's go next to what we're reading. Okay, so I'm reading an article in Tablet Magazine called Beware the Do-Gooders. It's about how a new class of capitalists, think Sam Bankman-Fried and Elizabeth Holmes, couch their profit-seeking in the language of social justice and altruism. Sean Cooper writes, Gone are the days when villains dressed the part and Wall Street vampires suited up like Gordon Getgo. These days, an American who wants to avoid being swindled needs to watch out for the t-shirt-clad do-gooders spouting the proper politics and pieties while claiming they only want to save the world. The collapse of SBF's crypto empire fits the larger pattern, a massive scam marketed as a moral cause. Yeah, what was remarkable about this is SBF effectively admitted this, if you recall, uh, if you're following the story just after the bankruptcy in November when he was uh, direct messaging with a reporter on Twitter, and he didn't realize, uh, you know, so he says that she was going to run with everything he told her. But he basically admits in those direct messages on Twitter, yeah, everything I was saying was a bunch of BS. That's what you have to do these days. Mosh, I do like the idea of this, though, because it does seem like what happens to just people who can admit, hey, we're in this to make money here. I mean, that's why we're do that's why I started a business. Right, right. I feel like those are criticized these days. And, and you want to hear inspirational words from, you know, from all companies on their earnings uh, alongside their earning statements. As far as what I'm reading right now, Jill actually has to do with what I'm watching. Uh, it's a piece in The Verge called and we'll link to this in the show notes. The Golden Age of Streaming is over. Uh, it talks about how just a few years ago, we were talking about the multiple billions of dollars being spent on any given show on the HBO Maxes, Netflixes, Apples, etc. And even shows that really had very niche audiences uh, trying to be a little bit of everything for everybody. They're finding these days as the streamers try to increase their revenue and keep growing that they're back to sort of what we saw from the networks back in the day, creating a handful of shows or at least lesser shows that reach a maximum possible audience. So they were talking about all the various shows being canceled right now that like really, you know, really had these cult followings out there, you're going to be seeing less of those in the coming years. Okay, Jill, finally, what are you eating this weekend? Mosh, sign me up for some potato latkes and Hanukkah gelt. Sunday is the first night of Hanukkah. I think we'll be making some potato latkes as well. And when I say will, uh, my wife, Alex, will be making the potato <laughs> latkes. And I'll, but I'll be there assisting in the kitchen. You'll be the taste tester. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. For those of you unfamiliar, potato latkes are a Hanukkah tradition, sort of like hash browns, uh, though it requires a lot of oil in frying gel. Uh, an attempt a few years ago to make latkes with friends, I think, led to uh, one of my friend's apartments smelling of <laughs> latkes for the better part of six months. It sounds about, I was going to say, for some reason, they're very oniony or something. Like, there's definitely an onion smell or like a garlic smell or something to that. And watch the oil. When the oil kind of gets all over the place, um, that's like, it, it makes it really difficult to clean and, and creates that, sm that smell. So beware for those of you uh, attempting a latke recipe this weekend. But we do want to wish our listeners that celebrate uh, a happy Hanukkah, a happy a start to the eight nights of the holiday. Okay, and on that note, thank you so much for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Yes, every review makes a difference. So we appreciate everyone who's taking a moment to review us uh, in the app. And don't forget to follow us as well over on Instagram, over at the Mo News Instagram account at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. -E a reminder, we are live all next week before we take a slight break for the holidays. Jill, so I'll see you and everyone back here on Monday. Where in the world is Mosho <laughs> Nunu? <laughs> <laughs>